Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at how to acquire businesses like a ninja. My guest in this episode is Carl Allen. Carl is an entrepreneur, investor, and corporate dealmaker who has worked on transactions worth over $50 billion, which includes over 250 acquisitions and sales, together with more than 100 capital fundraising projects. In a 24-year career... Carl has analyzed thousands of businesses, big and small, in 17 different countries and across nearly every business sector, including technology, pharmaceuticals, transport and logistics, engineering, manufacturing, aerospace, consumer goods and services, business services, retail, professional services, finance, packaging, and corporate clothing. Carl has a solid reputation as an investor and a corporate dealmaker, having worked for Bank of America, Hewlett-Packard, Forrester, and Gartner. He has advised some of the world's largest corporations on investments, acquisitions, disposals, and restructuring. Carl has also assisted hundreds of business owners in raising both equity and debt finance. Carl walks the talk, having acquired and sold numerous businesses for himself. And he is one of the world's premier experts on buying and financing small business acquisitions and coaches more than 700 entrepreneurs all over the world to buy small businesses rather than starting new ones. If you're interested in joining our investors group, you could go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investors group and fill out an application form and or email me at info at cashflowninja.com to start the discussion to see if you're a good fit for our group. And if you're in the Philadelphia, Bucks County, and Southern New Jersey area, we are hosting live investors meetup events every month in Newtown, Pennsylvania. For more information on the monthly event and information on how to join us at our next live event, you could go to cashflowninja.com forward slash events. MC Lobshire, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cashflow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cashflow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's your own banking system.com. Cole, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. Great to connect. Um, can you please share a little bit about your background or journey with my listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I've spent the last 26 years buying and selling businesses. That's my, uh, that, that's my one and only skill set, although it's a very interesting skill set. And I started my journey way back in 1992. I was a Wall Street investment banker for Bank of America. I did that for a while. And then I went to business school in Chicago, uh, had a little stint in in private equity. And then I ended up at Hewlett-Packard, one of the big technology businesses, buying and selling uh, businesses for them. And my, my life changed abruptly about 11 years ago. It was 11 years ago on the 1st of February. So February the 1st, 2008, 
I'm in Moscow um, with HP buying a printing company. And I got, I got the dreaded phone call. My wife had gone into labor four weeks early with, uh, with, with our son, Josh, who's now 11. So I had to you know, get out of Moscow as quickly as possible, which is not that easy. And uh, I managed to get back to the UK where I was living at the time uh, with five minutes to spare. So my son came out five minutes after I ran into the hospital. So, you know, something triggered in my head and I decided that, you know, I didn't want to be a corporate slave anymore whilst I was a, you know, very well-paid employee. I decided that, you know, to spend more time with my family and have a better work-life balance and have a bit more control in my life, I would, I would do my own thing. So I started buying and selling businesses to build my own portfolio and I still do that today. In fact, I've literally just come off a call where I've agreed to buy a technology company in, in, in Texas, in Dallas. But um, what I then started doing about two and a half years ago was, was coaching entrepreneurs and small business owners how to buy businesses using other people's money. So that's my kind of primary skill set uh, that I'm doing in lots of different ways. Yeah, I'm excited to jump into the the topic here of, of buying and selling businesses, great uh, cash flow resources. Um, what would you say to our listeners thinking, well, do I start a business? Do I buy a business? What is the value of buying a business rather than a, a, a founding one? Oh, absolutely. So uh, this is one of my, my, my kind of biggest messages that, that I give out to the market. And, and what, what's really interesting is I'll give you the statistics first. So so if you, if you look at the United States today, there's about 2.4 million businesses for sale. And about 200,000 of those will change hands in the next 12 months. So the vast majority of those businesses are not going to sell. And they're owned by baby boomers. So they're good businesses, but they just they don't have an exit strategy. They don't have a, a queue of buyers um, looking to buy them. On the other side, in 2018, almost 7 million Americans started a brand new business, okay? And according to Michael Gerber, who wrote arguably the greatest book I've ever read, The E-Myth Revisited, Michael Gerber states that 96% of all startups will fail inside of a 10-year period. 50% of them actually fail inside of the first 12 months. So you've got this huge disconnect. You've got millions of people starting businesses and failing. They're risking time, capital, their health, their families to start a business when the odds are massively stacked against them. Yet you've got millions of businesses available to buy that have survived and are good thriving businesses that the owner just doesn't want anymore because they're either sick or they're looking to retire or they're burnt out and, and they're frustrated. And my analogy for this is, is, is Tesla. So I've just ordered a Tesla car. Tesla came to the UK not too long ago. Uh, you know, it's kind of a new thing. And, you know, did I A, go out and buy the wheels, buy the seats, buy the big kind of screen that goes in the middle, buy the, buy the wiring and, and, and buy, you know, the battery? And then did I, did I figure out how do I assemble all that stuff on my driveway so I could drive it? Or did I just go to the dealership, buy a Tesla that somebody else has already built and then finance it through Tesla? So I, I did that. And, and the, the kind of common theme is, like, if you're starting a brand new business, there's so much 
that you have against you because you don't have necessarily any capital, you don't have any credit, you know, no one's going to lend to a brand new business, you have no employees, no customers, you have no premises, no equipment, and you've got no reputation. So it's really, really hard. Whereas if you go and buy a business that's already existing, it has all of those things. It has cash and credit and employees and customers and premises and equipment, you know, whatever the business is. And even if you want to innovate something really cool and unique, you can do that inside of an existing business because guess what? It's going to pay you cash flow whilst you're doing that. You're going to have employees to help you build whatever innovation that you want to create. And then once you've built it, you've got a customer base that's probably going to buy it. So, um, so that, that's one of my biggest messages that, you know, I think it's really dumb to start a company when you can go and buy one that somebody else has built and doesn't want anymore. It's quicker, it's cheaper, and it's far less risky. You make a great point just on um, the purchasing an existing business and then doing that creative kind of line that you want or that you need and so forth inside that. So instead of starting a business, I have this great idea, you're starting and building this and, and, and producing something that's not going to pay you for a long while. And by the way, as you mentioned, it might never pay you. <laughs> um, and now you're buying an existing business that's producing cash flow day one, it's finance and so forth. Um, maybe, yeah. And this gives you the opportunity also to get like a vertical, another vertical stream outside or next to that business that complements it, right? So you already have the customers that you're going to sell that idea or creation to. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, now that we, we spoke about the advantages of, of buying another business, and uh, I love that comment of, listen, you could still, you could still do what you want to do and be creative and, and launch that product or that idea or, or test it just inside an existing business that you purchased instead of recreating the wheel in itself. Um, the next step I want to go into, because I've gotten this question quite a bit, is what um what would you recommend what businesses should people look at and what is the criteria that or the framework that people can draw upon when they evaluate opportunities because some listeners might be like this is great i do want to uh, generate some cash flow from businesses i need some additional diversification let's just say if you're a real estate investor where do i start what type of businesses do i buy yeah that's an absolutely fantastic question so uh, i want to answer that in kind of two parts at two different levels. So in terms of what types of businesses, you know, all, all businesses, um, you know, can, can be, you know, there's no specific sector that, you know, really resonates over and above the other. So, you know, there's loads of different types of businesses out there. So, and so for me, what it really comes down to is, is the requirements of, of the individual. And, and this kind of takes me nicely into what I call the triad. So if you can imagine a triangle with three different points, there are three attributes that make the perfect deal. And the types of deals that we do, that they're called leverage buyouts. And leverage buyouts or LBOs, you know, is, is a Wall Street term. But an LBO is essentially buying a business primarily using other people's money. That's what an LBO is. And the perfect LBO has got three traits. So if you look at the triad, the top of the triangle, the most important attribute of a perfect LBO is how the deal relates to the buyer. So we're in a buyer's market. We'll be in a buyer's market, I believe, for at least another 10 years. Um, 
there's far, far, far many more businesses for sale than there are actually buyers. So as the individual buying the business, then you're looking at it from two different elements. The first one is if you own a business already and you want to, you know, you want to double or triple the size of your existing business by buying another, then you've got to look for a business that's got some strategic kind of map to what you're already doing. So for example, let's say you own a software company, then a great business to buy might be an IT services company because then you can sell the software to your new IT services customers you've just acquired and vice versa. And as you bring those two businesses together, there'll be costs and synergies that you can take out of that deal to make the combined entity a lot more profitable. If you're an individual and you're looking to do deals and uh, you're a first-time business buyer, then really you want to be buying a business that relates to you and your background. So you want to buy a business in a sector that you know and that you understand. Because one of the most important things in doing these types of deals, and we're talking about you know one to five million dollar revenue businesses, that's kind of my my sweet spot these days. When you're doing those deals, the most important thing is rapport. And it, those deals, they're 90% psychology and only 10% numbers. The numbers are there, they're important, but it's all about the relationship that you build with the seller and it's all about the relationship that you build with, with your financing partners that are going to provide the capital to allow you to buy that business. So buying a business that's related to you so that you understand the sector, you can have a great conversation about it and, and you, know, you can build that strong rapport. The other thing that you've got to think about is um, there's a difference between being a business owner and being a business operator. So, for example, I own 17 different businesses uh, all over the world, and I don't work in any of them. Uh, I spend less than an hour a week uh, working on those businesses, but never in those businesses. So I'm an owner-investor. I'm not an owner-manager. And that's not to say that you can't buy a business if you want to go in and you want to run it yourself, you want to be the general manager. And if you want to do that, then obviously you want to buy a business that's close to where you live or it's close to where you want to live. So if you live in Boston and you've always wanted to move to San Diego, you know, a great way of facilitating that is go and buy a business in San Diego and then you've got something to do and you've got income and cash flow the moment you, you step off the plane. Uh, what's also important as well is, you know, do you have, you know, pick a sector where you have a network, so a network that you can leverage to improve that business and make it larger and more profitable because eventually you might want to sell it and then that's obviously when you make the majority of your, of your income, your capital gain, when you sell that business to somebody else in the future. Now, you had spoken about a little bit on this uh the psychology versus the numbers when purchasing a business. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that. And also, how do you how do you determine and evaluate whether a business, now that you have, let's just say you've identified a symbiotic, if that's the, even the correct term, uh, business for purchasing, how do you evaluate if if the bir- a business that's for sale uh, that would fit in kind of nicely with what you're doing already is is worth buying? Yeah, sure. So. So the psychology is really, really important. So we're, we're facing an epidemic today, especially in North America. You, you've got 
Um, according to the Wall Street Journal, you've got 10,000 baby boomers retiring every single day, and 19% of them own small businesses. So you've got all these businesses every day coming to market looking to sell, and there's just not enough buyers. And these individuals, they care a lot more about the legacy of their business, what they've built, and the safeguarding of their employees and their customers than they do about cold, hard cash. What you've also got as well is on the other side of the spectrum, you've got a lot of entrepreneurs that are younger and have built businesses, and entrepreneurs, sometimes they get bored, so they'll, they'll build a business. It could be a software-as-a-services company. It could be um, an Amazon dropship-type business selling stuff online. They build it up to a certain level. They get bored. They want to sell. They want to go off and do other things. So uh, there's a big myth that, that doing these types of deals is all about the money. It's not. Often, uh, you can get these deals done at, at phenomenal discounts and be paying a lot of the money over time, so deferred payments, which we call seller financing payments, because the seller, what they really want is a safe, trusted pair of hands that can take the business on and kind of take it to the next level versus selling it to a you know, a large corporate that would most likely, you know, strip it down and, 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 you know, disrupt the business or harm it in some way. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is you, some of the things that you teach is how to buy businesses with no money down. Now, yes. I, I don't necessarily want to get in the weeds on this, but can you no. share some financing strategies and then also maybe touch on uh, how to, how, you know, on a high level, certain things that you can do to purchase some of these existing businesses, no money down. Yeah, sure. So, so the, there's kind of three ways that you can do it, uh, and I'll go through them very, very quickly. Uh, I have some free training, which I'm happy to share with your audience if they want to get into the weeds in a bit more detail. But essentially, three ways that you can do these LBO-type deals. So the first one is it, if you find what I call a, a highly distressed seller, so it's a seller that's highly motivated to want to leave their business. And, and their goal is to uh, get the monthly cash flow that they're currently enjoying as the business owner. But, you know, they want to stay in bed. They don't want to go into the business every day. So those types of deals, you can buy those businesses and, and pay 100% of the purchase price over time. So let's say you find a business and, and the seller wants a million dollars. Then as long as it's got significant cash flow, you can pay that seller you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year for four years, and you can pay them monthly. And we give them all sorts of security so that, you know, they're going to make sure they're going to get those payments. Otherwise, they have the right to take the business back. The second strategy, which is more the traditional type of LBO, which, you know, I grew up doing these sorts of deals when I worked on Wall Street. The largest LBO in history was, uh, was the $25 billion acquisition of RGR Nabisco back in the 1980s. The guy that bought that business, Henry Kravis, bought it without spending any of his own money. And basically, you're using asset financing and equity investors from other partners. So let's say, let's say you find a $1 million deal and the seller wants, say, half a million dollars down and then half a million dollars paid in the future. You've just got to raise the capital to make that half a million dollar payment. So you can go to 
uh, asset-based lenders. So if the business has got a balance sheet, uh, you can borrow against the assets of the business. If it's got no assets, but it's got great cash flows like a technology company, then you know banks like Live Oak will, um, will, will lend you on a multiple of that cash flow. So you can put that in as a closing payment as well. But what you've got in the United States, which is absolutely phenomenal, it's the rocket fuel for these types of deals, is you've got this great institution called the SBA, the Small Business Administration. And they have something called the 7A Loan Program. And what the 7A Loan Program allows you to do, up to $5 million as a deal size, the SBA will lend you up to 90% of the purchase price of that business. And then the other 10%, you split between uh, a little cash investment from yourself, which in some cases you can get from the cash that's already inside of the business. Or if not, you could put the money in yourself, or you could go and get an angel investor and sell a little bit of that money. And then you get the seller to carry the other 5% over time. It really is the kind of rocket fuel for these deals. And hardly anybody knows about it. Um, it's it's insane. You know, we don't have this in the UK. We don't have it in Australia. There's there's a kind of poorer version of that in Canada. But uh, the SBA, in my opinion, needs to do a much much better job of marketing this program. And and the government, the federal government, they underwrite the loan. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and they've done this to solve this epidemic that there's millions and millions of businesses coming to market for sale and nobody's buying them because, A, they don't know how to do it, which is why I do what I do now. And secondly, people think that, you know, to buy a million-dollar business, you need a million dollars in cash. You don't. You need between zero and $50,000, and you can do it via the SBA. Multiples. You've mentioned that a couple of times, too, just from cash flow and so forth. When folks are looking at deals – uh, is there certain frameworks or multiples that you can use just to see if that's an even a feasible deal to go after? Um, I, I guess what I'm getting at is what's a quick way to determine if the business is remotely worth than what the seller wants for it? Yeah, sure. So, um, so what's interesting is there's, there's, a, there's a mathematical way to answer that question. And then there's a psychological way to answer that question. So if you talk mathematically, then uh, a CPA will tell you that a business is worth a multiple of its free cash flow. And if you look at the, so the, there was a really interesting report issued by Transworld, who are one of the, um, the, one of the top uh, brokers in the United States. They're a big franchise. And Transworld Business Advisors in their latest quarterly survey, um, for all businesses up to $5 million in revenues, the ones that had sold, bearing in mind only about one in 12, one in 13 businesses sell, uh, the average multiple of free cash flow was 2.2x. So, so you're generally looking in the kind of two to three X multiple range when you're looking at a business. So, so if you find a business, for example, it's doing 2 million in revenues, and it's doing $300,000 in free cash flow, then that business is worth probably between six dollars and $700,000. Now, having said that, there are some sectors and instances where those multiples might be higher. So if, you're, if you own a technology company 
and you're doubling in size year after year, then you're probably going to want to hire multiple. Uh, on the other side, if you you might find a business where you know the seller's wife's just contracted terminal cancer, or that the, the person's made money in the past, wants to retire, and just wants to get the hell out of that business, then they might sell for one, one and a half times free cash flow. So there's often psychological elements that can impact the multiple, but the industry average across the whole of the United States is about 2.2x. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. Dave and his team at The Real Asset Investor have syndicated many successful real estate and ATM projects over the last decade. Now his team has an exclusive opportunity for investors in the coal space. Do you want to be part of an energy project that takes conventional coal and cleans it up by extracting liquids while releasing almost zero emissions? The sale of these liquids can produce strong double-digit cash flow and aggressive tax benefits against ordinary income, all while using America's number one most plentiful resource in a responsible, efficient manner. Now that's non-conventional. For more information on this exclusive opportunity, you can visit therealassetinvestor.com or contact the Real Asset Investor team at info at therealassetinvestor.com. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. Now, if you're a seller in this environment, because we do have uh, a lot of business owners and, and a lot of baby boomer business owners listening to the show as well globally, if you're looking to sell your business in this type of environment right now, which you may, uh, mentioned, it's a, it's a, you know, <laughs> not the I- ideal environment. Uh, what would they? What What are some of the main things that you would tell them to get in order? Um, yeah, to get their ducks and ducks in a row, if you will, uh, for them to be able to sell their business in the environment. Yeah, great. Okay, so that's a really good question. So, the the, the single biggest problem that I see, and I probably look at a hundred deals a week, and probably have twenty to twenty five seller conversations per week. That the, the biggest thing that I see with a lot of business sellers is the owner and the business are the same. So that business will not work successfully if the owner was suddenly to exit. And I call it the proverbial yellow bus scenario. So if the seller was run over by a yellow school bus, you know, what would happen to the business? And, and what you find is with a lot of business owners, 
all the processes are in their head. They don't particularly have a, a, a you know a solid management team. They own all the sales relationships. They're working in the business rather than working on the business. So they're more of a technician stroke artist than really kind of an entrepreneur stroke business owner. And you know, and I don't mean that as a kind of a criticism. It's just the way that that most business owners have built their businesses. You, you know, what 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 I think is phenomenal about the US is you know, business owners, you know, their passion and their hard work. And, but unfortunately they tend to want to do a lot of the, a lot of the work inside of the business themselves. So my biggest advice to business owners who want to sell is separate yourself from the daily operations of the business uh, as quickly as you can and make sure that your business can function without you in it. Now there are some great examples, you know, the gentleman that I just got off the phone with, I'm buying his e-learning company in, in Dallas. You know, he only works, he's 62. He only works in that business two days a week. He's got a general manager. He's got a great team. He's got all his systems and his processes all laid down. He's got a sales team, you know, that business functions adequately whether he's in it or not. So that's what, that's what all sellers need to have, uh, in order to kind of book the trend, you know, on the multiples. And and then also what's really important is a lot of business owners that I come across, they're just not ready to sell. So they haven't groomed their business ready to sell. They haven't got all their ducks in a row. So all their financials aren't all in order and their tax returns, you know, they haven't got all their legal stuff all kind of done and, and, and ready. You know, they haven't got a framework for really uh, transitioning the business over to somebody else. And, and the other big problem is, they don't know what they're going to do when they retire. They don't. They don't know what they're going to do when they when they exit. So often, you know that that kind of delays the process because you know they're hesitant to really pull the trigger uh, and, and, and get out. So, you know, there's a number of things that a seller can do to position oneself and groom and optimize and also put in some growth into that business and really paint a picture for you know what the business could look like in the future under new ownership you know what is the market opportunity you know what are the strategies that are being utilized today what other initiatives could a new buyer deploy inside of that business to really kind of juice it up and make it fly you know you paint that picture and you prepare and groom and get ready then and i i would say one in a hundred businesses that i look at are like that those are the people that can sell for five six even eight times cash flow now, one of the things that I've learned uh, teaching and sharing and um, doing presentations and also especially live when you get feedback and interaction from, from folks that, that you're sharing and, and teaching um, uh, certain things to is that you learn a lot from them. There's questions that they ask, there's comments that you make and you sit back and you go, oh, wow, I, you know, that's another way of looking at and opens up, you know, the creative, uh, the creative flow in your mind for to see other opportunities. What are some of the things that you've learned by teaching others that you've incorporated within your own business systems? Yeah, so so that that's a really interesting question, and l l let me answer that in two ways. So I'm going to answer that operationally, and I'm also going to answer that in terms of being a deal maker. So operationally, you know, I look at all my different businesses and. Obviously, you know, we do a lot of the things the way we do them and, and that's best practices I've learned over time. And obviously businesses I bought, you know, the best practices, you know, between the different ones I've tended to share. But also, 
you know, often, you know, I'll, I'll go on a call with a seller and I'll look at their business or I'll go and meet them and I'll find some things in their business, which are just amazing. They're doing like something so well and so unique. So I'll, I'll tend to kind of capture that best practices, then deploy that inside <clears throat> of my existing businesses. But what's also really important is, and this, this is a really crazy thing to say, is, you know, I've been a deal maker for 26 years. I've done over 300 transactions all over the world. And I got really, really, really good at doing this in the last two years when I started to break down my process so that I could coach and mentor entrepreneurs to follow in my footsteps. So what's really interesting is when, you know, no matter what you do in life, when you're really good at something, a lot of the kind of secret sauce, a lot of the kind of uniqueness about who you are and what you do is trapped inside you know, of your subconscious mind and it's trapped inside of your nervous system. You just do it. It's automatic. It's like, you know, Tiger Woods or, um, or some of the other top golfers, why, why they're phenomenal golfers is, you know, they've practiced so many times. A lot of the things they do really, really well, it, it's kind of pre-programmed into their soul and into their body and, and anything in life. You've been a deal maker. I got to the point where, a lot of the things I were doing were kind of automatic, and sometimes you make mistakes. When I created my, my, my coaching and mentoring programs, and I had to break my system down in bite-sized pieces so that the average entrepreneur could follow it, deploy it, and get the same results and outcomes as me, when I started following my own system in that level of detail, it made me a lot better and a lot more rigorous in doing deals myself. So that's one of the great things, the great kind of side benefits that I've enjoyed through through building these, these programs as it's actually made me better at what I do, which is insane because I've been doing it for 24 years before I even did that. So uh, anyway, just thought I'd share that with you. No, that's great. I, uh, absolutely. I, I've, I've, I've learned a lot just by, by teaching and, and learning from students. So I could definitely relate on, on that. Um, stay, staying on the learning uh, subject for a second here. One habit I've seen from very wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new things, learning new things. What are you currently studying and what are you learning? Yeah. So, you know, something, this, this, this is one of the big three principles I, I would pass on uh, apart from my wealth to, uh, you know, to my future generation. You know, it's all about being an avid reader, being an avid learner and, and having a commitment as a human being, you know, to grow, to grow so that you can serve yourself, which allows you to then serve other people. So I'm, I'm a massive student of two things. One is marketing and copywriting. And secondly is mindset. So one of my, well, my two biggest kind of mentors in life, the two people I look up to more than anybody in the world is, uh, is Tony Robbins and Jay Abraham. So Jay Abraham is, is, is just the best marketer uh, that I think's ever walked on this earth. And, and I'm constantly studying and learning, you know, from him and others uh, about marketing and marketing systems and copy and influence and you know, all those different things. And then I've invested a lot of time and energy and money in the past couple of years um, with, with, with Tony Robbins and, you know, going to Tony's events and reading all of his books and going through a lot of his training and just being able to be the absolute best person 
that I could be, not just for myself, but for the employees in all of my different businesses, for my family, for my friends, for my community. And, and it, for me, it's all about constantly improving and setting those you know, kind of higher standards so that I've got the ability to then go out and serve more people in the world. Fantastic. Now, uh, a core message of our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Yeah, so so number one, I would say is... Uh, be an employee, not an employee, you know, be an entrepreneur, don't work for somebody else, you know, find your passion and go and build a business and a life that's around that. And, and that kind of segues into kind of principle number two, that, that for me, every, every day of your life should be filled with passion and live with passion and really, really do what you love. You know, there's a great, um, there's a great video on YouTube, uh, Steve Jobs, giving the Harvard Business School address, you know, several, several years ago, about 10, 15 years ago before he died. And he just, his kind of core message was, you know, we only have one life. You know, I know spiritual people might, might disagree, but in the context of you've only got one life in the here and now, go do something that you absolutely love and really lights you up, really juices you, really gets you excited, you know, gets you up early every day, gets you staying up late at night. Because if you've got that passion and that juice and that energy, you'll follow through. You know, so many people, you know, when we talked about the stat at the start of the podcast where uh, 96% of businesses fail, one of the reasons they fail is, is ultimately they fail because they run out of money. But the core reason for that is, you know, they're not doing things that they're really passionate about. So they've not got the commitment to follow through, you know, when times get tough and, and you know, everything's tough in life. You, you, you know, you've got to have that passion um, and that commitment to something to, to kind of follow through. And, and, and my, third, my third principle, and we talked about it a few minutes ago, is never stop learning and growing. You know, be an avid reader. You, you know, don't read novels. You know, I, I, I find it so frustrating that people to read, they'll just go and read novels and, and people read novels, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it's escapism. They're trying to escape from, you know, whatever problems or things they, they've got in their, in their lives and, and they're, they're reading to get out of that, you know, go and read a book that we can learn something, read books on marketing, on sales, on strategy, on financials, you know, read autobiographies of people that, you know, have been and, and achieved the kind of results you know, that you want in your life, you know, books like, you know, some of the great books I've read, you know, Rudy Giuliani, um, the uh, the New York mayor, you know, books about Steve Jobs. I've just read Elon Musk's autobiography, you know, Shoe Dog, the story of Phil Knight. What an inspirational book. The stuff that guy had to go through to get Nike to work in the early days is, is incredible, you know, the commitment and the focus and the determination he had to make that business work. You read a book like that and it really moves you, you know, it really gives you the clues, you know, success leaves clues in this world, in my opinion. And, you know, by learning from people and modeling them on how they've been successful, you know, you can build up that store, that cookie jar of things that can impact your own life. So, 
So be an entrepreneur, don't work for somebody else, you know, be an avid reader, never stop learning and growing and just live with absolute passion, do what you love. Those are my three things. Fantastic. How can my listeners learn more about you? How can they uh, stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with and how can they access uh, the training that uh, you have to offer, uh, yeah. Carl? Absolutely. So I created uh, a free training. So it's a 90-minute training webinar where I take people through soup to nuts, the 10-step system of finding, buying, and running a business without you necessarily having to invest your own money. So that training, and there's a whole bunch of different tools and things on there that people can download for free. That's at ninjaacquisitions.com forward slash free. Fantastic. And love the name. We always bring on Cashflow Ninjas into the show. And listeners today, you definitely have listened to a Cashflow Ninja from Ninja Acquisitions. Call Alan. Call, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.